Pornhub. Pornhub. The Pornhub Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub Podcast. Today's episode is da, 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 a crossover episode. Our guest is Holly Randall, the host of Holly Randall Unfiltered, which is a podcast that also features porn performers, uh, people in the adult entertainment industry in general. Um, but her show is from a totally different perspective. So I am a porn star. I've been in the industry for 12 years now, is it? But Holly is on the other side of the camera. She is a director, um, a photographer, and not only that, she is porn royalty. She grew up with parents who are in the industry. Her mother is the Suze Randall. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation for everyone to hear. So it, it's kind of her and I interviewing each other slash no one's interviewing anyone, kind of. Um, you'll see. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Holly Randall Unfiltered. And hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub podcast. <laughs> you know what I, I feel like? I feel like this is like, you know, that Spider-Man meme where like all the different Spider-Mans are pointing their fingers at each other. And it's like, the meme is basically saying like, you're the same as me <laughs> That's <us> right now. <laughs> Yeah. So what we're doing essentially is like called a swap cast. Um, I wanted to interview Asa again for my show. She wanted to interview me for the Pornhub podcast. And we were like, why don't we just do a swap cast, which is essentially not me specifically interviewing her or her specifically interviewing me. Um, we're just going to kind of have a conversation about our lives and you're going to enjoy it. God damn it. <laughs> It's kind of like how in the porn industry, I think like the closest thing is what we call a content trade. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Exactly like that. Which is basically when two performers get together, create some content and they both own the rights to it. And that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then someone else puts it on another platform and then the other person yells at them and then they get in a fight and they don't talk to each other anymore. Exactly. That's totally so, not going to happen. It's T minus one year till we're not speaking is basically <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> I'm kind of sad because my whole plan was to come out to New York and to record with you live. And also like I was going to record with Danny Daniels and I was going to do some other stuff. And then this goddamn coronavirus hit, so we have to do this remotely now. Yeah, you know, and we had a whole plan. Like, so we, you, I don't remember who reached out to who first. I think maybe it was even something like one of us commented on an Instagram story of the other person, yeah. something we just got to talking, and you told me you were pregnant. Yes. This, and this was way before anyone knew. <laughs> Mm -hmm. This is before I even told like twisties or any of my clients. I know. And you know how I know is because I would say maybe a month or so later, Spiegler was like, Hey, guess who's pregnant? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know who. And he thought he was breaking the news to me because Spiegler usually does break porno gossip. Um, and I was like, actually, I knew that. 
And then like two weeks after that, Erin was like, guess who's pregnant? And I'm like, who? (laughs) See, I designate who like is important in the industry depending on like when I tell them I'm pregnant. So clearly you take precedent over that. You know, what's funny is I remember telling Spiegler that I was pregnant and, um, he, and I knew to myself and I was like, the secret's going to be out now. This is telling the world. Yes. But to be fair, like I'm really bad at keeping secrets. So the minute I found out, I told, um, my like crew and, uh, basically any model that I was shooting. (laughs) (laughs) That is the danger also of having a podcast, which is like, it's like, you don't know what you'll reveal to the world and then it's out there. Right. That's funny that you say that because, uh, I do record my podcast live normally when I record them in the studio. Right. And I had ginger Lynn on and ginger Lynn happened to be staying with my parents. And my mom gave ginger Lynn a book on like, I think it's called the whole nine months W H O L E about like eating healthy and pregnancy. And ginger brought it to the studio and gave it to me. And then right before we started the actual podcast and we were live, she mentioned something about it. And I was like, so like my Patreon members who get to watch the live version, they are all like, hmm. Kind of in on it. Yeah. But not confirmed. Yeah. Well, welcome to Porno Milfhood. (laughs) I know. I'm excited. I feel like so many other people are, it's weird. Like everybody's pregnant right now. My husband's, all of his, literally all of his best friends have either just had a child or having a child in the next few months. And my sister-in-law is having a baby in like a couple of weeks. Oh, how lucky for your kid. Yeah, it's actually really cool. So like we're all having kids at the same time. But yeah, I know Lena the plug Mm -hmm. is, she's pregnant. Um, I was thinking of a different porn star. I knew about Lena, but I was thinking of another porn star actually. Did they but announce I don't it yet? Open about it. Hmm. We don't. So, we maybe don't want to reveal it just yeah. yet. We'll we'll tell each other off off camera. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So um, yeah. How, I mean, how do you? How are you feeling? You're in your second trimester. Hmm. I'm like 16 weeks now. Um. I feel really good. It's really strange. I've had an incredibly easy pregnancy. Um, I had no morning sickness at all. Oh my ever. God. You fucking I, bitch. <laughs> I, uh, have a lot of energy. Um, I mean, I take like, it's funny cause I feel like I should take naps because I have the time now. Um, and I used to be I mean, a big nap taker. Yeah. But like, I don't really, I don't really feel like I need it. Um, I do go to bed earlier. That's for sure. I, I did just start having heartburn, like literally this week, which has never happened to me before. Yeah. So. Well, you're actually in like what they kind of called the golden era or whatever of pregnancy where like they say the second trimester is kind of easy peasy and it's the first and the third that are generally harder for people. Yeah. But you're very lucky. I had like a pretty shit pregnancy. I got carpal tunnel. What? I know. From, like from what? It's something to do with how like the there's so much blood pumping through your veins that like the veins get fatter and it blocks a nerve in your wrist. It's like this whole fucking thing and I had to wear like a brace to sleep. 
Oh my God. It was, and I had no food cravings, which was like the part I was looking forward to the most because I had this like romantic idea in my mind of where like I would send my husband out for pickles and ice cream in the middle of the night. What is it with pickles and ice cream? I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, not once have I craved pickles or ice cream and definitely not together. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I remember Stormy telling me that she, um was obsessed with the idea of sniffing and eating dirt. And her doctor told her it ended up she needed like more magnesium or something like that. So I don't know, like weird shit does happen. Just it, I was, I was not that lucky cravings wise. <laughs> How was the last uh, trimester for you? Was it really hard? Such shit, Holly, like, <laughs> I know my sister-in-law is going through it right now. She's like, so like, it's hard for her to eat because yeah. she's so full because the yeah. baby is like pushing up on your organs. And she says she wakes up in the middle of the night and like has to throw up acid mm-hmm. from like acid reflux. It's horrendous. Like it's so for me, I had, I think I had an especially bad third trimester. Like I, I was really hungry, but I couldn't eat at all. Like I just felt Mm -hmm. nauseated the instant I ate anything. Um, and I don't know, like another pregnancy fantasy in my mind was like, that's when I'm going to eat every day is a cheat day. Mm -hmm. And I was like that except for the the final trimester when I, I was just like so hungry, but I couldn't eat. And then I don't know. I was just, I was really tired and moody all the time. And I hope that doesn't happen to you. Yeah, I the other thing I've not had is uh pregnancy mood swings at all. Oh my like I've had no one on mood swings. <laughs> I hate you. It's funny because my mom told me that she had a really easy pregnancy with all three of us, but you know, I heard all these horror stories, so I was really scared, but so far it's been good. I mean, this could all change, you know, like next week I could have it, it could all come crashing no, it down. Could be different tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying not to be cocky. I mean, the only great thing right now is my boobs. You're okay. <laughs> I saw your boobs for like a split second in this video call we're doing right now. They're ginormous. They're so big. They're so they, big. They you were trying to show me your belly, and I was like, "Holy shit, your boobs!" It's I can't obscene. My top. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. So great. It's so great. It's funny because my husband the other day he's like, "Well, you were talking about getting fake boobs, but..." You don't, it looks like you already got, like, you got a boob job. Like, there you go. I'm like, yeah, but they're going to deflate and turn into, like, pancakes. They will, but first they're going to get even bigger. (laughs) They get so big, Holly. Like, right when you think they can't get any bigger, they get bigger. And then they deflate. (laughs) Mine are are pretty deflated. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm headed for another boob job after this. Do you think having the boob job helped you with the deflation though? Mm, like, do they yes. look better than you think that they would if you didn't have a boob job? I do think that. But um, if I were to do it over, I don't know that I would do it in this order. I don't know that I would get a boob job first, then have a baby, only because I had so much anxiety about breastfeeding. Mm. Um, I really wanted to breastfeed and like my nipples have been pierced. I've had a boob job. I've had one of my implants fixed. Like I've just done so much crap to my boobs that like the whole pregnancy, I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to breastfeed. 
Um, which is fine actually. Now that I have a baby, I'm like, Oh my God, like, what was I even anxious about? But, um, yeah, like that. Cause, cause they say like, you don't know until you're doing it if you can or cannot. Um, yeah. Cause I guess some people don't produce enough milk and then some people produce so much milk. They like have to sell it. Adriana Chechik. Yes. Breast milk. That's what I heard. <laughs> Adriana. I will sell you my breast milk. I will sell it to you for, no, I won't give you a discount because you're right. You have a really great rate. I know what you charge. I will charge full price for my breast milk, but yes, Adriana, you can have my breast milk. Isn't it also like so on brand for Adriana Chechik to be trying to buy black market breast milk. (laughs) And I mean that like not even in a bad way. It's just like, of course you are. Of course. Oh my God. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> what does she use it for though? It's supposed to be like great for your skin or something, right? Your skin, and I think she said eczema or something, but it, it's good for like all skin conditions. And I will say this, like I ended up putting it in my kid's bath, like when he had eczema or when he had diaper rash and it really, really worked. So it is, it is like pretty magical stuff. I, I so put you- it in my husband's eye when he had pink eye. Fuck off. You were just like, (laughs) literally, I was like squirting it in his eye and also like onto his finger. And then he'd be like dabbing it into his eyeball. But, um, and I I recorded that. Like, yeah, I know I should have. Right. But like, I I think it's hard to tell with pink eye, like if it was going to get better anyway. So I don't know if my breast milk did anything, but what I can report is that the pink eye did eventually go away. (laughs) So Take take what you will from that. God, here we are spending all this money, you know, paying big pharma all this money for mm-hmm. these drugs with all these side effects, and all we ever needed was breast milk. It's true. It's true. It's the cure all. Maybe maybe that's the corona cure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we found it, guys. <laughs> so, what have you been doing during this quarantine? Because you're over there on the East Coast, and you guys are pretty locked down over there. I mean, we are we- pretty locked down. I haven't left the front of my house in almost two months now. I think it's been like 52 days for me. Um, but I don't know. For me, like my schedule itself like isn't so different except for the fact that I'm not traveling. But because so much of my work is from home, especially like the stuff I do for my Pornhub page and then also as Pornhub's brand ambassador – like a lot of that can be done remotely. So my days are kind of like, I'm just like still working at home. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Like your, your schedule must be so drastically shifted because you're used mm-hmm. to being set all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously haven't been shooting, so that's been different. I won't lie. It's been kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And I know Honestly, my greatest fear about this quarantine is that it's going to make me lazy and it's going to make me not want to go back to set because especially now that I'm pregnant and I get tired earlier, you know, these ideas, this idea of having these, you know, 18 hour days on set is even less, yeah, is even less, um, you know, less enticing. I I will say that it really depends on the client. Like for twisties, my days are generally about 10 hours, which is really Mm -hmm. nice. Um, so, so that's totally manageable. 
Um, but I'm sure as you recall, shooting feature movies for Wicked, that's an entirely different story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I don't know if I will go back to doing that once this happens. This goes this away. This is something like, I'm so glad you said that because I've been wondering it a lot. Is So I've been working from home for a while now. It's been a few years. Um, the last time I had like a real job was at Barstool Sports where like I went into an office nine to five. And like every day I was there, I was like, I can't, I can't believe I have to work. I have, I can't believe I have to go to work. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. Um, and then before that, you know, like I was with Wicked and like, I only shot one movie a month. So like I've, other than the Barstool thing, like I've been pretty accustomed to like this being on my own schedule kind of thing. And I think mm. because of that, like, I think that's why for me, like having a nine to five at Barstool was so hard. Like, I, I think it was, too, it, it's kind of like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing. And I, but I do wonder if that's what's going to happen to the rest of the world. Like I, people are used to working from home now. I mean, or they're going to be like, are, I wonder. Are, yeah, they're not going to want to come back though. I have to say, um, my assistant did talked to me the other day and she was like, I really want to come back into the office. She's like, I'm so sick of working from home and I can't concentrate and I get really distracted. So I was like, so wow, you really, cause I was thinking that she was going to be like, you know, I really like this working from home kind of thing. I don't really want to come in anymore, but no, it's not the case. Huh. Then, so maybe like some people, maybe it's just like the way Maybe it's like a innate thing. Like some people like it and some people. Yeah, I think it depends. And it also, I think, depends on your ability to self-motivate. I think some people are really bad at setting their own schedule and self-motivating. It's so easy to get distracted from home. I mean, a lot of times what I would do is if I had to really buckle down and do something like write a script or something, I'd go to like a coffee shop or I'd go like to a restaurant to do that because just being at home, I find like, the dogs need some attention. I got to finish laundry, like always find something to distract me. Yeah. Okay. I'm not like that. No, I'm like, I close my office door and I'm like, don't come in here. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm used to it, but yeah. So you're like a good self-motivator worker from home. I think just some people are work really well like that. And other people need like that office interaction. They need feedback off other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you call yourself more of an introvert? Yes, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. What about you? You're a, wait, let me try to guess. Are you, I think, I think you're secretly an extrovert. Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I, I like spending time alone when I was a kid, I was really shy and, um, I spent a lot of time alone, but I do enjoy being on set with other people. I do feed off other people. I mean, obviously I like people, you know, like I have this show where like I talk to people for like an hour. So clearly I like people. So yeah, I don't know. It's like a strange combo. I think, I think, I think I'm like a little bit of both. I mean, I guess everyone's a little bit of both. I like one thing I've really learned during, you know, this whole quarantine thing is like, I am an introvert and I do really love to be alone, but like, it really has to be on my own terms. And obviously right now it's not. And like, 
fact that I cannot socialize is like, it's pretty horrible. Like, yeah. How is it with the kid? Because is he like toddler age now? He's a total toddler now. Like he's um, about to be one and a half. So he's like, he's walking. He's like kind of talking. He's really, he's never like not moving. Um, but I'm also really lucky because Sean also works from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it's been, it, it hasn't been as bad as like, like I look at my friends with like five and six year olds mm. and I'm like, damn, that sucks. Um, yeah. you know, at that age, like at that age and up, I think kids really want to be outside. They want to see their friends. They, they don't understand why they're not being social. And whereas like my kid is kind of like, his world has not really changed. He doesn't go to music class anymore. And that's about it. Um, mm-hmm. I seriously doubt he even notices. So yeah, he won't remember this. Yeah. He's going to be like, I, I think about this all the time, but like, I think he's like, I think about how he's going to talk about this and he'll probably be like, yeah, I don't really remember it. I was a baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I know. Right. He'll be like that that kind of, I don't know. I don't know. But like, when do you think, when is this going to be done? Like, I don't know. Um, I heard that our mayor is going to come out. No, our governor, sorry. um, Is going to come out with some information today about when we can start uh, going back to work. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I honestly like, I really try before I like needed to know when we were going to go back to work. But now that I've kind of settled into this routine where I'm kind of enjoying like mm-hmm. not shooting and like just doing podcasts and, and working on other stuff and, um, you know, just like kind of being at home and going on bike rides and like picking flowers from my garden. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that much about it. I'm just like, cause I, I can't change anything. Right. So I try not to stress mm-hmm. about it. And so I'm just like, whenever it happens, it happens. I'm in a pretty good situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm super lucky. So I think there's a lot of other people who, you know, are not in such a fortunate situation. So I feel really Mm -hmm. blessed, but I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't, I try not to think about it basically. How do you think, uh, I'm like, you're like telling me you're trying not to think about it. And I'm like, well, how, <laughs> how think, but I do want to know, like, how do you think this will change our industry? So there's been some talk and I was thinking about this before this press release came out. And obviously everybody else was as well about adding COVID-19 testing to the panel of tests already and mm-hmm. putting it in pass so that when you go get checked for your STDs, you also get tested for COVID-19. Totally. Um, but then it was funny. And then there was a, like a follow-up release where the FSC was like, well, we're not going to do that because you could contract the disease in the, in the two week testing period between tests. So it's just not safe enough. And I was like, Wait, but um, literally, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, but that's the case for all of the things that you're being tested for. Mm -hmm. Though, to be fair, obviously, COVID-19 is way more infectious. Right. Um, You're not going to pick up gonorrhea at the grocery store unless, you know, you're 
fucking banging everybody in the grocery store. And I don't know how you roll, you know, like maybe that's your no thing. Judgment, no judging. No judgment. But so obviously it's a lot more infectious. But I also think too, like I was talking to some other porn stars about this and they were like, look, you know, if I'm willing to risk the chance of getting HIV, which is, you know, an uncurable and potentially deadly disease, then I feel safe willing to risk getting COVID-19, which is unlikely. And I know it happens, but it's unlikely to kill a young, healthy person. But it's also a totally different thing because like, let's say I contract HIV, right? It's not like if I go to my parents' house, they they might get it just by breathing the same or yeah, eras. Totally. Yeah. The contagion is way different. So, but I think that eventually we're going to have, you know, those people who are working are maybe going to have to be smart and understand that they can't go see their elderly parents while they're working and they might have to self quarantine for two weeks before they do that and adjust, you know, I mean, they're going to have to make their own personal decisions to try to make sure that they're being as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, at their discretion. I don't know. That's that's everyone. I mean, like literally you could say the same thing about an accountant's office, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, this disease is not like specific to sex workers in any way. Like it's not even sexually transmitted actually. Right. But obviously kissing somebody, you're way more likely transmitted than like breathing on somebody in the grocery Mm. store. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's no easy answer. Um, I think that if the people that want to go back to work, if, you know, we take certain precautions, maybe the crew and, um, you know, we all wear masks and gloves Mm -hmm. and everybody gets tested. But then I also hear that the tests aren't really reliable yet and they're definitely not widely available. So I don't know. Yeah, that's actually one thing I was wondering when I saw that press release is like that because so I think talent testing did officially add COVID-19 to the test, right? To the panel. Like, are there that many tests available? I don't know. And I'm not sure if they officially did. I think they were talking about it, but I don't know if they did it. I could be totally wrong. I could be wrong, too. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's great that we're talking about things that we know so well, that we, we really know the facts about this stuff and we're spreading information of like just what it is to be in a global pandemic in the age yeah. of what, social media, the internet, when everyone ha- has access to information, but everyone also has access to all this like wrong information, right? Like it's. Yeah, that, I think that's a huge problem. I mean, the misinformation that's being spread on online is is, is terrible. And, you know, people are in a panic, understandably so, but there's new data coming out that show that is showing it's, it's definitely not nearly as deadly as we've been, the media has been showing it to be. Mm -hmm. And it may not be as infectious as the meat, as we've been. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it was this, this new disease that hit us and I'm definitely not a scientist or a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, obviously it takes time to, learn and understand these diseases. So, you know, one should be an abundance of caution is probably the the safest thing to go with. Mm-hmm. It'll be really interesting, I think, to look at all of this from a perspective of like 
10 years or five years, you know, like Mm -hmm. in hindsight, it'll be really interesting to see how people look at the way society reacted to this. Also, like there is no way we're coming out of this as a people like of earth. I mean, Mm -hmm. as like, we're going to be so different after this. Yeah. Like I think, I, I mean, not, besides the obvious of like, we're all going to be wearing masks and like, you know, we're going to be perhaps more germaphobic or whatever. But like, I just think like, you know how, like, you know how like the, the generation of people who've been through war Mm. are like, they're, they're a little bit more hoardy, you know what I mean? Mm. And like, they're a little bit more, um, they're a little bit more like, just like little things like they save their food and like, you know, like little things like that. I think there's going to be so much shit that's specific to our generation now. That's just like, Oh yeah. Like the, you know, you know them, like they went through the, they went through COVID-19 like, yeah. Yeah. That's why they're so they won't shake your hand or something like that. (laughs) I mean, and it's funny too, because a lot of people are like, I'm like, what is the first thing that you're going to do? when quarantine ends, they're like, I'm going to hug everybody I see. I'm like, are you? Ah. <laughs> I mean, are you? Because I feel like a lot of people are not going to be okay with that. Yeah, no. I mean, I can tell you right now, the first thing I'm doing is calling my cleaning lady. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am really over this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, actually, one thing I wanted to ask you, because you kind of touched on it for a second, was like, you were talking about like the crew of porn and stuff. And obviously like you and I are so, so, so incredibly lucky to be able to survive this right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And we're lucky enough to be able to say things like, like, Oh, we're okay right now. Like, you know, whatever. But, um, so many people that work in porn, especially the BTS people, right? Like, um, the guy, the people who are behind the camera are like, completely out of work it's not like they can cam or do only fans or whatever so like is there and i know that the free speech coalition has a fund for it to help them with their bills and stuff like is there have you do you know of anything else like is there anything else we can be doing to like well it's funny that you should ask that because browsers has a relief fund for crew members and they sent me a bunch of money and as much slack as I think MindGeek gets for like a yeah. lot of things, like I can personally attest to the fact that like they're really fucking incredible to their employees. Yeah, I will. I will definitely. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I'm on the Pornhub podcast <laughs> and because I've had to interview so many different people in the industry and not everybody's a huge fan of Pornhub. I've mm-hmm. actually found myself defending Pornhub and MindGeek quite a few times. And look, I understand like the things that people have against the company. I totally get Mm -hmm. it. But speaking from a personal perspective, and I always say this, I'm like, look, this is just from a personal perspective. Um, I've worked for MindGeek for like over a decade and they've always been really, really good to me. Mm -hmm. And when I was pregnant and I I talked to you, I had told, you remember I told you, I was like, Mm -hmm. I haven't told Twisties yet. I'm kind of nervous. And I think one of these things that women fear so much about getting pregnant and going on maternity leave is that like, 
we lose our edge, you know, in the business world because yep. we work so hard to get ahead. And women generally have to work so much harder than men to get any kind of advancement in any kind of like CEO or leadership role. And then, you know, it feels like having a baby just like puts you all these steps back and then you have to stop working for a while, but like people still have to pay you. And, mm. um, it, you, you just, just feel become, like a huge burden, a huge burden. Right. And yeah. then like, people are going to forget about you. Not pregnant person is going to swoop in and take my job because why wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. So I was nervous about telling twisties because, you know, I am freelance. I'm not under contract. They do mm-hmm. not have to give me any work at all if they don't want to. Um, but they were really kind about it. Uh, and they said, you know, whatever you need, we'll accommodate you. If you like want to direct from home on Skype or something <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, my crew has worked for me for like 10 years or so, most of them. So they kind of know what I need. So I could probably go to set, maybe set things up and then like kind of check in throughout the day. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's hard to. It's hard to know, but anyways, but that's all getting back to that, like, you can't even be thinking about that. Like, that's really cool yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that they were, you know, really so like just excited for me and, you know, whatever we can do to help, um, was re- I really appreciated it, but, but yeah, getting back to your original question, um, I've been talking to, I mean, like my makeup artist, Rosalinda, I talked to her. And, you know, she fortunately was a very smart woman and she's like, my mother always raised me to have at least six months worth of money saved up to cover all my basic needs. Mm -hmm. She's like, so I'm actually like set for six months. And I was like, Mm -hmm. fuck, dude, I'm not set for six months. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. (laughs) you're so smart. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else is, um, you know, filing unemployment or if they're freelance. I mean, that's a whole, I honestly... I guess my answer is I don't fucking know. Yeah. Like, I really don't I, understand how people I, are surviving right now. Yeah. It's, it's really, it sucks. I mean, yeah. I think about that and like, I do feel like performers are in such a fortunate position where like we have the option to cam, we have the option to, you know, work from home. But I think of all these people who like, you know, they got yeah. it to where we are in our career. They're just as crucial to our careers as we ourselves are, you know? So yeah. it, it's, it's fucking crazy. But, but so in that sense, like I can completely understand why people are very eager to get back to work. You know what totally. I mean? Totally. Like it, it's, I don't, I don't think, I think there's like a lot of weirdly, a lot of shame right now around like people who are like wanting to work. I, oh I don't my know God. that out there, but like, Dude, the shame, the social media shaming is at an all time high. And I get really angry about it. And um, I actually got in an argument with somebody on Twitter about it. And then I was like, that's when I was like, you know what? I just need to like not, I just need to mind my own business like I normally do. I normally do not get involved in any kind of Twitter disputes. But um, yeah, I'm just like, you know, people like telling on other people and, just like, don't go outside. And I heard this person's doing that. And it's like, I understand, like, I understand that as adult performers, what other people do with their bodies directly affects your own health, right? Because Mm -hmm. if somebody's not concerned about being healthy, then, you know, working with them can work against you. Mm -hmm. But 
I also just feel like the way that people are just going online and just like pointing fingers is, is also really frustrating, but I think, you know, people are, are scared and, um, they have nothing better to do. Yeah. It's the, it's that, it's exactly that equation. I think it's yeah. like boredom plus <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also like, but you're right. Like also like shaming is like, at the end of the day, it's like not even constructive. No, not at all. It doesn't work. Not at all. No, <laughs> and it, it doesn't. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. It helps. I, I, it's interesting to see like people's true natures come out, I think. Mm-hmm, for sure. But Definitely. yeah, it's, you know, people behave badly in bad situations. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Have you like picked up any hobbies or anything during this whole thing? I tried baking a cake and it was came out terrible. <laughs> I don't know why I'm not surprised. No offense. I, I don't know why you just like strike me as someone who is not a baker. It's not like, it's not a baker. I don't know all the directions. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, imagine, I, I can envision you just like yelling at an oven and like, <laughs> Why won't you work? Yeah. <laughs> um, I did also start like a little vegetable garden only because my husband started one and he was like really obsessed with me starting one too. I think secretly he wants to compete with me and see who can buy, who can grow better vegetables. Wait, that's and kind to, of adorable. And he's, he's, he's very competitive. And to be honest, he is 100% winning right now because like my vegetables are not doing that well. And I just... I don't really care that much, but like he really wants me to care about these vegetables. And I just, I don't know. I just don't really care that much. How are you guys doing? Like aside from this, like playful competitiveness, like, cause you guys are actually not a couple that's used to like being together 24 seven, right? Like because of your jobs and stuff. Right. Like, right. Are you okay? <laughs> Blink once if you're not okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're actually doing really, really well. This has um, been, I think, a great reassurance to me that we really are as compatible as I thought we would be. Um, mm-hmm. He actually left. So he got laid off from the firm that he was at like uh, this fall or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like September. Um, and then he's, and it was a firm that he worked out in LA. So he would actually go to an office. So he's at this new firm which is in another state. So he works remotely. So he's actually been working from home. Oh, okay. So, and you know, I work from home too, but luckily like I have a two story house, his, his office is upstairs. Like I don't really see him all day. Like he's in there all day. And then I'm downstairs in my office, but you know, like I would go to shoots, obviously he would go play hockey every single day. And, um, a couple nights a week he would be gone. Like until 10 o'clock at night playing hockey. So like I would get those moments to watch, like, you I know, stay at home and watch little, little women or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like he doesn't want to see. So, um, but it's been good. He's been, I mean, you know, we get on each other's nerves from time to time and he, he's, he admitted to me that he's been a little bit depressed lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, honestly, like his, aren't we all, if this is him depressed. Like I'll take it. Yeah. You know what I mean, I think, yeah, for sure. And like staying home is depressing. Yeah. It can be. It really, really can be. Like usually I make a, like even when I'm working at home regularly, like I definitely usually 
try to take note to like at least go for a walk if I haven't been outside that day. And, you know, now you can go for a walk, but it's like, it's not like you can go anywhere, you know? So you are the brand ambassador for one of the biggest brands in the world. Is it (laughs) true that Pornhub really is like the number three most trafficked website in the world, like under Amazon and Google? You know, I should know that. Um, I don't know. I, I have heard stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. But like, I mean, I'm sure that information is out there. Like you just go to like Alexa or something. Right. But um, yeah. I, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I would say it's in the, it's definitely in the top 10. I think so. Probably. Like for sure. Which is crazy. Do you know how many hits they get like a day? I, um, the last I checked, I think it was 75 million hits a day. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you should say that. Cause I, I always think of Pornhub and MindGeek as like, oh, you know, like one of the biggest brands in porn, um, certainly MindGeek, but like, I guess I never really thought of it as like one of the biggest brands in the world because I mean, I feel like society just doesn't allow us to think of it that way. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I was reading like a random, I think it was a Joe Nesbo book and Pornhub came up. <laughs> You know, and I was, and this is like this crime writer from like Scandinavia. <laughs> right. Someone's going to correct me that he's from some other country in that area, yeah. whatever. Some part of Europe, some, some place that doesn't speak English. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, but it does have that kind of reach. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I, I'm constantly coming across Pornhub in just mainstream media and like, I'll be like, oh, I wonder how much they paid for that plug. And I'll ask and they'll be like, like, no, no, no. Like we didn't pay for that, first of all. And second of all, we don't even want it because it'll be like something not even that great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, but like it's, it's, it's shockingly like a really intimate team. Um, Mm. It it is like a really big company. As you know, MindGeek is huge. Have you been out to their Montreal offices? Yep. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me that they'd like... I don't know. There's what twelve floors or something in the building, and like people something don't. Like that. I think know they're each other in the like you get in an elevator with a bunch of people, and no one in that elevator knows each other. They no all work. It, it's so crazy, and like yeah. every time I go there, I meet so many people in the building who are like, "I've never met a porn star," and I'm like, "What? Like, you guys run Pornhub yeah. and Brazzers and Twisties and Men.com? Like, it's." so crazy to me but yeah it's it's very much it's very very corporate out there um but the Pornhub mm-hmm. team is like super intimate and awesome and really creative and I'm in my third year working for them and it's it's just been like really awesome actually I have to say like it's- how did how did that whole relationship start like what was the conversation where they made you brand ambassador? Like, and what were they looking for? Did they tell you why they wanted to work with you? Um, like, why are you so special, Asa? <laughs> I, so it actually stemmed from, um, I, I think the first conversation actually happened when, as I was, I hadn't left Barstool yet, but so I worked for this company called Barstool Sports for like a year, which is, um, it, it's there, they started out as a sports blog and now they're just pretty much like this huge media company. Um, and I did a podcast with them. Um, and then it was called, I'm curious about, right? Um, no, no, no. So before that one, I joined a pre-existing show on their network called KFC radio. Which oh, is like okay. 
second biggest show in the whole network. Um, and it, it kind of like, it started off great. And then eventually like they had to take me off the show. Cause like they couldn't get a lot of advertisers were like opting out once I was on the show. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And then like, and then that turned into like, Oh, we're doing this spot for ESPN. So everyone in the company has to be involved except for you. And there was just so many things like that. And it like, how by- that- hmm? how, I was, no, yeah. I was going to ask like, how did that make you feel? It was horrible. Like it, you know, like I'm definitely someone who really like, I get a lot of like gratification out of doing a good job. Like that's just, mm-hmm. I'm like such a sub that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like for me to like be at a job where it just felt like I was doing a horrible job every single day, like just by being who, who I you am. are. And originally that's what they hired me for. And like, I'm not even blaming them really. Like I, I'm so thankful to them for even like giving the whole thing a shot, you know? Um, and they hired me as like the resident porn star, I guess. And it just didn't work out with the advertisers and with all the other companies that they're working with. Um, and so that was like starting to feel really sh- shitty. Um, so for me, like when that started going shitty, I was like, shit, I need to like find something new, something I'm good at. Um, by then I was already living part-time in New York. I was already dating Sean. Um, I was already like in the middle of my divorce from Tony Rebus. And I completely so- forgot you guys were together until you brought I that know. up. Yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot. I know. What the fuck was it like being married to him? Oh my God. I mean, I love Tony, but that man is so much energy. He has so much energy, but let me tell you something. He's nothing like that at home. Okay. That makes sense. I think he spends all of his energy around. He's like an extrovert in that way. Like, I think he really is so energetic in a group of people, but at home he was so like chill, just smoking weed, playing video games, like not that energetic guy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, I, I think I, I approached Pornhub initially and was like, Hey, like, are you guys like looking for anyone to do anything? <laughs> and they were like, well, actually we are, we have been like trying to, fill this like brand ambassador role and blah, blah. And from there, like we just kind of had all these like organic conversations over the course of like months really. Um, and then, yeah, like, so even when I started my deal with them, it was not like, I wouldn't say it was crystal clear what I would be doing. I, I knew mm-hmm. I'd be doing the podcast for them. Um, and then other than that, like th- even now my contract is very vague. Like it, it doesn't, it's not like I have to like, like produce an X amount of stuff for them. I'm really just like, um, there when they need you. Well, that was kind of when they were really starting to shift towards marketing, right? Cause before they really were just this big tube site Mm -hmm. that made a fuck ton of money and a lot of people Mm -hmm. hated. Um, and then they were, and then they really like turned, the mark with marketing and they started doing all of these, these things that, that got their name out there in the mainstream media in a totally different way. These, you know, like charitable things. And, um, it's actually been really impressive to, to watch. And I would imagine you kind of were on the cusp of that, right? 
Um, yeah, like I think I came on around then and their marketing team is like so fucking genius. Like mm-hmm. I'm so, so, so inspired by Pornhub's marketing team. And it's, it's also like, I am, they do so much stuff that I'm, I actually like am very, very proud to be affiliated and associated with them and to work for them. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause it's like you said, like they really do, not only do they do a lot of charitable shit and I don't want to even like sound like I'm like, <laughs> like all hail Pornhub or, you know, like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but like, it's not only do they do all this like charitable stuff all the time, but they're also so ethical, like, and, and down to like everything. Like even if we shoot a promo, they always make sure like half the people are people of color, you know? And like Mm -hmm. in porn, that's pretty unheard of, right? Like we we're very, very still behind as an industry, I think when it comes to matters of like race, right? Oh, Um, racism is like our number one marketing tool. (laughs) It's true. It's it's so racist. Yeah. Because we're all search terms. And like, I think there is, there is something to be argued for the fact that we need that a little bit. Like, so it's, it's this like weird thing, but, but Pornhub is always like really, really, really conscious of um, stuff like that. They're always like trying to work with women, um, you know, when it would be so easy to just like give the gig to some dude that has done this a hundred times, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, so I, I am like really proud to be with them in that way. And, and, you know, this, I, I love podcasting. Like I've, this is the th- third or fourth podcast I've done. Like I did the one at Barstool. I did one called DVDASA like a hundred years ago. And like, so I'm really also like thankful to have this like platform where I I can do podcasting and they give me a lot of control over it. Um, And it's, I I feel like I'm finally like doing the podcast that like I want to do, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Um, So it's, it's been awesome. I I mean, you, you know, you, do a podcast too. Like you do it. Do I <laughs> do I, <laughs> what, what could you be possibly be talking about? Um, I, I, I want to say also too. just, I mean, before we start talking about my podcast, <laughs> fine, I do want to say the one thing about yours is that, I mean, you know, not only do you obviously interview some of the top names in porn, but you've also interviewed people who don't work in porn at all. Like, I think I, I told you that my favorite interview that you did that I was I found absolutely riveting was with that guy whose name just slipped my mind. Double dick dude. What? No. no. <laughs> he's like this. He's a poet. Oh, humble the poet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same thing. I was like that really inspirational guy. You're like double dick dude. <laughs> but yeah no yeah that guy's amazing humble the poet is like uh amazing we actually share a book agent oh okay yeah so yeah but that's what i mean like even you know stuff like that like they've really allowed me pornhub has really allowed me to like interview whoever i want and it doesn't necessarily have to be porn related Obviously, I always try to incorporate sex into the conversation because that's to me just like the most interesting thing in the world. Like I mm-hmm. could talk about, and that's sex what your audience that. expects. Like mm-hmm. if you get somebody on and start talking about like nuclear physics, people are probably not going to be all that excited to right. uh, 
to listen to that episode. Yeah. But, how did how did you start your show? Like, so you you've been in the business how long? Um, twenty. It'll be twenty two years in September. Oh my god! No. And actually, I wanted to ask you, like, so you you come from porn royalty? Um, I mean, I that's fair sure. to say. Uh, okay. Yeah. Is Suze Randall, who is perhaps one of the most famous um, female photographers in erotica ever right um it's funny i mean yes i'd like to believe that and you say that and i do believe that's true but i will say that it like it's sad because nowadays the younger generation like nobody's any idea who she is you think i know you don't think you're on par with like hugh hefner oh no not at all no there's so many people i've worked with who like had no idea who she was really oh all the time that's really surprising to me yeah. But like you grew up kind of around the porn industry. Yes. I mean, you've never known different, right? No. <laughs> how, how, so you must have grown up like so differently than the rest of us. Was porn always like it for you? Like, was that always what it was going to be? No, not at all. So I had a really normal childhood. Um, my parents, my parents are this really interesting mix of like, kind of swinger, like free love party at the Playboy Mansion, um, pornographers, but also like from like a middle-class English background. So they're really into like table manners and, you know, I rode horses and like education and, you know, manners and all of those things. So so even though I knew that my parents worked in the industry, porn was never anything that we really ever talked about or was like part of the family dynamic when I was very young. Right. You know? Like it just wasn't, I think also too, because my parents weren't like really shameful about it and weren't trying to like hide it from me and being like, you know, I can't tell you what mommy and daddy do for a living. And obviously they didn't explain it to me in like vivid detail. But basically what I knew is that my parents made like movies and pictures for grownups and it was for grownups. And and how, how young were you when you knew that your parents made movies for grownups? I don't know. I've always known. Cause that's the thing. Like they never like okay. did it for me. They never tried to pretend like they did something else. So I think like right. young age, if it ever came up, it was like, yeah, mommy and daddy, like, we take pictures for grownups. And I was like, okay, pictures for grownups. Like, I don't know. Or how old were you when you like explicitly knew that like, like really knew or was it so gradual? I think it was just so gradual. Like, I don't remember like a specific moment where I was like, Oh, that's what that means. You know what I mean? I just kind of like, like I said, like they, they never hit it. You know, models would come stay with us. Like Tracy Lords would come, over yeah she came to like my my birthday party when i turned five and like yeah so you know like playmates and i I don't know like my parents hang out with timothy leary like my parents hang out with like robert maplethorpe like crazy people and i never knew any different so right i'm so jealous of that do you feel i mean to me that sounds great do you feel like it was great I don't remember ever. I don't know. They were just like my parents' friends. Like, who cares? When you're a kid. Like, you don't know who Tracy Lord is. Why why would I give a fuck? Like, she gave me like a ballerina costume. That's cool. You know, thanks. But like, otherwise, I don't care about you. 
you know? Is that something you think you'll like pass on to your own kid? Like that attitude toward your job and porn in general? I think so. I hope so. I mean, I feel like my parents did it right. You know, I, I, none of, we did not grow up with a sense of shame around sex. And yes, I work in the adult industry, but my brother is a lawyer and my sister is a nurse. So like we didn't all end up in this mm-hmm. and they're very normal people um, with normal lives and normal jobs. We as a family, mm-hmm. we get along really, really well. Um, we never fight. We have great Christmases and, you know, we, we love each other and we try to treat other people with respect. And, you know, there's this really wonderful, I'll send you the link if you remind me when we finish, but there's this great um, moment when my mom, so right before I was born, my mom wrote this memoir called Sue's. Actually, technically my dad wrote it and it's like this like juicy tell all about like her time as a model turned, you know, uh, erotic photographer. And she was really the only one that was a female at the time. Like there was no Mm -hmm. women working behind the scenes at the time. She was Mm -hmm. very much alone in that. So, you know, it was a great story to tell. And, um, so she wrote this very salacious book about like, you know, times at the grotto and like banging Hugh Hefner and like all that kind of, your mom banged Hugh Hefner. My mom banged everybody. I know. Wait, you can cut, totally cut this part out if I can't say this like publicly okay. on a podcast, but my favorite thing about your mom is that she fucked Mr. Marcus. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, hold on. That makes a lot of sense because I actually didn't know that. Oh, wait, hold on. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Can you, okay. So my mom has always been really gooey around Mr. Marcus. Like, and he's always flirted with her and it's like kind of gross to me. And I actually saw him at Jim South's 80th birthday, like last, last, like, I don't know, a few months ago. And he, and same thing. And my mom was like, eh, Mr. Marcus. And I was like, oh my God. And she like didn't also didn't know about the whole syphilis thing and him getting kicked out of the industry and all this. Kind of stuff. No, no, no. But I'm talking about like way before. Yeah. Like- but yeah. So that doesn't surprise me in the least. And it doesn't bother me but either. Like, but also it could be so wrong. Like I've never even met your mom. Just so you know, like I, Paula, I'm like, going to, you know what? I'm going to ask her. Like, I'm gonna, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to ask her this week. My mom loves black guys. Like loves, 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 loves black guys. She also fucked Bill Cosby willingly. What? To God. Uh, Jim Brown, who was a huge football player back like in the seventies and eighties. Um, but yeah, no, she, she, she's a huge fan. Of the that's BBC. awesome. See, but that's, I, I'm so envious that you are able to say things like this about your mom and it's hilarious. It feels healthy. Yeah. And like, it's, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, that's gross. But you're like laughing. You know what I mean? It's it, to and, me, it's more funny than gross. It's more funny than gross. It's right. just like, it's just my mom. Like, I don't know. It's just what she's like. And I, I mean, I can't like when I think about my mom fucking my dad, I'm like, I can't, my, I, my mind does not even allow myself to go there because I grew up with so much shame around mm-hmm. sex, specifically coming from my parents. So I'm like so envious of that relationship that you have. And it's, that's definitely the kind of thing, like I want to pass on to my kid. Like yeah. I, I want to have that relationship with him where like sex is not this disgusting, 
gross thing. Like it's, it's beautiful and it's normal. I I think that's the number one message I would like to relay is that it's normal. Absolutely. Um, I also want to ask you like, because it, it does to me, like you had such a opposite upbringing than I did. And I think yours is infinitely better. And just it, especially when it comes to sex, like maybe not even about sex, but like, what's one thing your parents did for you that like, you think you want to pass down to your kid? Um, they were really, really strict about grades and, um, a good education. I wasn't allowed to get C's. If I got a C, then I got a tutor, um, until my grades went up. My dad used to also tell me too, and I don't know, maybe this is added to my like body dysmorphia complex, but he also said that he didn't like bees with the big fat round bellies. He liked the tall skinny A's with the top hats. (laughs) (laughs) They would equate like a B like as an average kind of grade that like was overweight and undesirable. (laughs) My parents had a lot of very high expectations on me. That's probably like the one problem that I, I will try not to pass on to my children is the, the high expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, because that kind of it's also fear. like between LA and porn, it's like you had no shot at having like <laughs> not body dysmorphia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though to be fair, it's probably, it's not as bad as I think it's, it's not as bad as it could be. I've never been anorexic or anything, but I don't know. I, I feel like I have the same body dysmorphia that like all girls in this city do. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like in that city, LA, it's impossible not to be conscious of your body all the fucking time. Like that's just the energy in the city. But I would say that, but actually, honestly, more important, like family time was really, really important to them. So as I mentioned, my parents are British. And so there was a tradition that we had every Sunday called Sunday lunch. And this goes back to like going to church and coming back from church and you put a roast in the oven before you went to church and it would cook while you were at church. And then when you would come back, you would have this big like Sunday uh, kind of early dinner supper with um, actually supper is supper dinners earlier, I think in England. Now I'm getting confused. Supper (laughs) and dinner. There's there's like no lunch. It's like dinner and then supper. Or is it supper and then dinner? I think tea is one of them. Tea is the in between the dinner and the supper. (laughs) A lot of breaks, a lot of breaks. Um, So, so anyhow, and so every Sunday, like I wasn't allowed to go to the beach with my friends. Like I had to stay home and have Sunday lunch, um, you know, with roast potatoes and the whole nine yards with my family. So you had a pretty strict upbringing. I mean, certain things. Yes, absolutely. In weird ways. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, so hold on. Like, did you, you said porn wasn't always the plan. Like what, what did you want to be like when you were young? Uh, I wanted to be an English teacher because that was what my dad was before he met my mom and, and started working for her and running her company. So yeah, I actually yeah. went to school. I went to UCLA and graduated with a degree in world literature, like thinking I always loved photography and I loved it throughout high school and I, and I loved it throughout college. Um, and I wanted to be a photographer, but I thought that that wasn't a very responsible career path. It wasn't safe. You know, there was a lot of artists out there and you could so easily just not succeed and be terrible. At it. It's not safe. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not. <laughs> so I thought, well, being an English teacher is like safe and I love literature mm-hmm. and um, 
teaching people. So that was my idea. And then the internet happened. And when the internet happened, so the internet happened and my parents launched Suze.net, my parents' website. And they went from, you know, being in a place where like, they were like not doing so great financially and they weren't really sure about their future to suddenly making an obscene amount of money, like just Mm -hmm. pouring in because they, you know, my mom, one of the really smart things that my mom did that I learned from her that has actually been so beneficial for me now in this pandemic is that I always worked for myself and created and owned my own content. And so that's why I have like hollyrandall.com and I have income coming in from that. And I have like content I can post Mm -hmm. on my OnlyFans and like, you know, and I make money in different areas off my own content. I don't, you know, the stuff obviously I shoot for twisties or for Playboy, Mm -hmm. Um, they own it. I can't, they pay a one-time fee. Mm -hmm. I never touch it again. But I was always, I always learned from my parents to never put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, and never rely on one person to be your income. Always have some motive of independence. And that's what my mom did. So she owned a lot of the rights to her photos, which a lot of her contemporaries never did. And so when the internet Mm -hmm. came along, she had like the largest private library of erotic photography than anybody in the world. And she had this huge name. And so she just started putting her pictures online and it was, you know, and that was back before, obviously you could stream video or anything and people just fucking ate it up. And it was just like, it was crazy. It was just this boom that will probably never happen. And how old were you at that point? I was, you had already graduated. College. Uh, yeah. They launched Suze net in 1998. They'd started licensing their content to other websites like Danny's hard drive. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Uh-huh. Um, yes. but they didn't launch their own website. Cause they saw like how much money they were making licensing content. They launched their own website. I think they launched like a month before Google launched. Yeah. Like Google. If anyone can remember a world like yeah, that. Yeah. Google launched like a month before or a month after my parents launched. And um, yeah. So they were making all this money. And my dad was like, he goes, cause I was, I was at, um, I was actually at the time I was in Santa Barbara at the Brooks Institute of Photography. Cause I had decided actually to try to become a photographer, but I was going to be a fashion photographer. Right. And, uh, my dad was like, how would you like to move back home? I'll get you an apartment in Malibu and a Ferrari, you know, cause that's how much money they were making. Well, I got to move back into my old bedroom with them and I got a Ford Explorer, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, who's counting? Whatever. (laughs) Dad has always been a little bit like extra with his promises. So for you, it was really like a come home work for the family business. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, at the beginning, I really thought I was just going to work in the office and like help them out with admin stuff. I did not think I would start shooting for them. That was not the plan initially. How soon after were you shooting? About six months, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because basically what happened was they started running model sites for some of their favorite models. And Amy sweet was one of them. Mm-hmm. And actually to this day, she's mm-hmm. still one of my best friends and she was in mm-hmm. house pet at the time. And we became really good friends because we were the same age. And so I started shooting her for her little website that my parents were running. Oh, and back then, like people, I think most people don't know, but model sites, like at the beginning of the internet were fucking killing it. it. Yeah. Like kind of like OnlyFans is now sort of. Yeah. yeah. 
but it was it was different i think because now only fans is a little bit more normalized i yeah. think like yeah. right and it's also um, like, like amateur like, kind of content girls are doing it um yeah but yeah so i started shooting her and i just found like i really enjoyed it and the freedom get the internet gave my parents the freedom to shoot whatever they wanted. So, and because my mom was always really into like highly stylized glam, we were able to really be creative with the concepts that we came up with. And we had no boss, you know, we had nobody telling us this is the kind of content we need. So we would have these meetings like on Monday, we're like, what are we going to shoot this week? Let's shoot like a forties gangster mobster theme you know, and we had the money to get the car and the fucking stylus and the location and the yeah. set. And, and I mean, literally like anything you wanted to do, we could do. It was so, we could be so creative. And the only thing they had to do was, you know, take off their clothes and like spread their vagina at the end. But otherwise it was kind of like a fashion shoot. Totally. And, and we were making tons of money and, you know, the adult industry was wasn't. It, what was it like? Like, like were you was your mom very like critical because she is because she's a photographer like was she do you think she was like extra hard on you because you're her daughter? I don't know if she was extra hard on me but she was definitely critical I mean everything I know I learned from my mom and I would remember yeah. her pointing out I would remember her pointing things out to me and I remember at the time thinking like what are you talking about like that's not a big deal and now I totally see it you know, like just little like placement of hands and like a little extra light, yeah. like in this corner. And I just remember it took me so long to learn what I know now. Um, is it, but is it even, is it knowledge or is it that you've developed like an instinct? I've developed an instinct through learning the knowledge. Like, I'm not yeah, sure okay. that I would know those things if I hadn't had somebody to guide me and tell me those things. Mm-hmm. And then I see it. Mm-hmm. But it's totally and now it's like driving. Yeah, it's like it's just it's, it's totally instinct now. It's funny because it's like photography really is the only thing that I am like never unsure about. Like it's the only like thing in my life that like I don't doubt. Like I know what I'm doing. Like I really know what I'm doing. Everything else, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. But like I feel so confident behind the camera. It's just uh because you're an expert. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You, do you feel that way about podcasting? Like, do you feel unsure at all? God, yes. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Podcasting is- It is. And I, I go into most of my interviews, like, with no prep. I don't know why. Really? I'm shocked. No. I, I would have imagined that you are the type, and maybe this is just me projecting because- Maybe I'm just about to tell you what I do, but like, I, I, if I don't, I I mean, I've never gone into an interview without prep. And if I didn't, I would probably cancel. Really? Because the level of anxiety would just be like through the roof. I think it depends on who I'm interviewing. Like with you, I feel like I know you and I know what we're going to talk about. So I don't feel like I need to worry too much. But um, like, for example, I actually just interviewed a medieval professor who specializes on sex in the middle ages. And I had to like prep for that. Yeah. Um, And by prep, I mean, tell her to give me questions to ask her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like that's, it's like speaking another language. Like I, I wouldn't even know what words to start using. Like, yeah. So (laughs) I, I do. Sometimes I go in prepared and, 
and, and <laughs> the interviews probably go better. I don't know. I think a lot of it is too, because I'm so busy and I'm so busy shooting that I don't really have a lot of time to prep for my podcast the way that I should. I wish that I could cut down on shooting significantly and focus on the podcast more. But the ironic thing about the podcast when you shoot, is it like, is it the opposite? Do you go in with like so much prep? It depends on the client. I mean, twisties, like, you know, Mindy, like they're very specific about what they want. So like I have very specific wardrobe. I have specific key shots I have to get. I, yes. And like a wicked feature. I mean, forget it. You're shooting a feature. You better be fucking prepared. Like I'm 100% prepared for that. Naughty America, especially because like they don't really give me much direction or they might tell me the night before, like, oh, shoot a school teacher scenario. <laughs> I just fucking wing it. I'm just like, and who cares? You know, like if they don't care, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, Naughty America is like, it's, this is such a hard thing to explain to someone who's not in porn, yeah. but I'm laughing because you it's like understand. not... It's not necessarily that like Naughty America is shitty or anything like that. It's just like the whole vibe is so different. Like, like certain sets you go on and you get this like thick packet of like what you need to be wearing, what positions you need to be fucking in, what like shot, every single shot that's going to be done. Whereas like Naughty America, like you get there and the director tells you what you're shooting that day. And then that's it. Because I might not even have gotten the scenario until the night before. Like it happens all the time. So I'm just like, and sometimes I don't get it at all. And I'm just like, fuck it. I will just shoot whatever. They, they've been happy. So yeah. I mean, but uh, yeah, I don't go into, um, but here's the strange thing about, and tell me like, if you, if you feel this way as well with your podcast, like it's interesting. Cause some people have asked me, they're like, oh, well, you know, if your podcast ever did really well, do you think that you would maybe stop shooting and focus solely on the podcast? But here's like the thing if I am no longer like working actively in the porn industry, then I'm no longer an insider. And then I'm just some random person interviewing porn stars about something I don't really know that much about. Like, I think what adds value to my show is the fact that I've been in the trenches with these people. We have stories to share. We've been on sets for 18 hours together where like we both broke down and cried. Like all of that experience is what makes the the conversation feel more, um, yeah intimate and companionable so like even if i wanted to like being a part of the adult industry and shooting is like such an integral part to me being able to even do my podcast i couldn't agree with how does that work for you because you're not really shooting that much anymore but you're still active in the industry yeah like i'm not shooting anymore so it's true like i'm not i'm not on set with anyone anymore um really but because i still work for pornhub like i still am around people a lot um so that's like a way i'm kind of in touch and then you know like also i i don't know like i i think you know because i'm still close with spiegler like i i i'm still up on like all the gossip i i still care about like all the stupid shit, you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's like, I, um, I, I still, even though like I'm like living on the East coast, I'm, I'm not shooting all the time. Like it's, I, I still consider myself a part of the porn industry and I don't know that I ever want to not be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a important part of like who, like my identity, yeah. I think. And also just like, I, I love the porn. And I think you feel the same way. Like I just love the porn industry 
so much. Like I, it's, it's such a home to mm-hmm. me. Um, and so I'm like with you. Like, I, I don't know that, I don't know that either of our podcasts would work from an outsider. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, especially because, you know, even as a performer, I can say that like, when I go do an interview with someone else that's like not in the industry, I am a little bit on guard. I never know like where that person's intentions are coming from, if they're going to edit it to make me look like an idiot. Um, you know, like it's, you just never know. Whereas like, I think for us, like we have the benefit of like the people we're interviewing, like somewhat trust us. Right. Like we, and we, they can at least at the very least know that we are sex positive. We want to make porn look good. Right. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really valuable. I think to like both of us, I want to ask you, have you ever interviewed anybody, um, that, and interviewed them about anything negative that happened to them in porn. And like, cause you know, there's good and there's bad. Like, how do you manage mm-hmm. those kinds of conversations when it doesn't paint such a great picture of the industry? To be honest, I don't know that I've ever been in a scenario where the conversation has taken that direction. I think we've definitely like touched on negative things like, say depression mm-hmm. or trauma. Um, but not necessarily like really negative industry mm-hmm. experiences. And that's like a really good question because I don't know how I would navigate that. I think those are really important stories to be told. Um, but there is a part of me that's like, well, there's so much of that out there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know what I, no, mean? I totally agree with you. Like, does it need to come from me? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What well, I don't know. What about you? Like, have you had to deal with that? Yes, that's definitely happened. And it's like, I actually had this really kind of pivotal moment. So I interviewed Ginger Banks and um, mm-hmm. I asked her about the Cam Girls um, movie that she did for Evil Angel. And she had like a bad experience mm-hmm. with it. And basically she told me that John Stagliano acted in a way towards her that she felt like violated consent boundaries. Right. And I think I wasn't, I don't know if I wasn't expecting it, but you know, I know, and I respect John Stagliano. He's like the father of gonzo porn. He's been through a lot in this industry. He's faced obscenity cases Um, and he's just somebody like he's old school. Like I've always respected him. And so she's telling me this and, you know, I, obviously I believe her. Um, but it's a difficult topic for me to navigate. Cause I also don't want to sit here and like, just talk shit about people in the industry, you know, but like, right. I want her to know that like her experiences are valuable and they're valid. And so, so she tells that story. And then the podcast goes out and then John Stagliano calls me and he's like, I want to tell my side of the story. And I'm like, okay, that's totally only fair. Um, And I told Ginger and Ginger to be fair was like, absolutely. He should be able to tell his side of the story. So Ginger, I feel like handled it in a really mature way, but it was Mm -hmm. so anxiety inducing for me because I was like, how do I, navigate this conversation how do I ask him these questions but not like and also too like 
it's a he said, she said situation. Like I wasn't there. I don't know what actually happened. Um, Mm -hmm. How do I navigate this conversation in a responsible way that allows both people's voices to be heard and doesn't lean one way or the other, but doesn't victim blame, but also allows like, you know, John to have his side of the story. It was really, really hard. And I honestly feel like after doing the interview with him, I don't feel like I did a good job. I don't feel like I you don't know. I don't feel like why I don't feel I challenged him enough. Um, I think I let a lot of, I feel like I let things slide. I feel like, I don't know. That's a hard one though, because I I know what you're saying. Like even without saying it, like I, I can completely understand if, if it were me, I would feel like it's, and Stagliano, I think is a perfect example because he's someone I have you can't be in porn and not have this like incredible amount of respect for John Stagliano. Like if, if anything, only on the level that he created Gonzo porn, he is a legend. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know that I could sit there and like point my finger at him. I think it was, what what it was, it was a really interesting intersection of the new generation and the old generation, the new generation and the mm-hmm. Me Too movement and the advocacy mm-hmm. for consent and boundaries and the old generation, which was just kind of like, well, this is porn and like this is because he didn't do anything like obscenely horrible to her. He just, I think, mm-hmm. groped her without her consent, which I could see like from his perspective was kind of like, why is it such a big deal? But from her perspective, so complicated yeah. porn. and I think, I think, I think for, I think if on paper, this scenario, if, if heard by anyone who was not in the porn industry, mm-hmm. it's very black and white. I think to a non porn insider, especially not from maybe 10 years ago, like I, I think it's so obvious you don't grow people without consent. Like that's fucking obvious. But I think it's also like porn is, it, it's it's really complicated because I think the conversation of consent is like, it's it, it's not black and white in no. porn. It really, really isn't. Um, there's and it's so it, it's new just, to us. It's so, so new. new to us, and I think there's also something to be said for like, in porn, like for me anyway, like I consider like when I walk onto a porn set, like I'm trying to create chemistry, like not just with my male or female talent, but like with everyone on set, right? Like you're, you guys are all kind of, we're all like in this thing where we're trying to create this like chemistry and this like, almost like a forced intimacy kind of scenario so that we can make the best scene that we can. And I think that is, of course it's wrong to grope someone without consent, but it's like, but also like, uh, to be, yeah, to be so fair, hard. I also just want to mention, cause I don't want um, to not like give his side of the story again. Like, um, mm. you know, the, what, what he said was that, that she was aware of what was going on. So again, like there's a situation like, I don't, was there a misunderstanding? Is one of you lying? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? And these are not questions I necessarily yeah. want to ask or, or challenge you on, but yeah, I do think it was, it was this, this moment of like a really like a collision of the old and the new. And it reminded me of 
what you said when you think that like porn is the perfect job for like a small group of people and a horrible job for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I do not think like at all that porn is like a bad job for Ginger. Like she's done really, really well, but she's also like more of like an independent producer and she does a lot of her own stuff. And this was her first time working for a professional porn company. And so I think that's something we're seeing actually a lot is, um, and and maybe that's for the better, honestly, like, I don't know. Like I'm at this point, I'm just like an old hag and like, but like maybe, and perhaps it is for the better, but like, I think the people getting into porn now have grown up with different conversations. They've been educated differently. They are used to being their own producers and their own bosses. And we, whereas like me, I got into porn and I would have done anything for porn. I just wanted to be in porn. You know what I mean? Like to me, like I wanted to like completely immerse myself in that world. And now it's, it's a little bit different. And I also think about like how, like, you know, I think you also have probably been through the scenario in porn a few times now where like, we do kind of have to, there are people who are our friends who've done things that are wrong. And it's like, at what, where do we draw that line? Like, of course, I always want to believe women and take a woman's side. I'm a woman, but like, I'm also like, I have friends that have been accused of horrible things and I don't know if it's true. Like it's, well, man, that's the thing hard. too. It's like, you have to be so careful these days about, you know, you know, this whole thing about like hashtag believe all women while no, you can't believe all women because not all women, women are human beings and not all human beings are reliable. Now believe most women. I don't know because it's like, you know, you're trying to push back against this, this, you know, archaic patriarchal, um, you know, situation where women were never believed ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm sure you've been in this situation. I've been in this situation where, I've been sexually harassed and I've been put in a mm-hmm. place where I feel like I can't say anything because I'm going to lose my job or, or whatnot. So mm-hmm. I understand what it's like to be in that situation, but there's obviously always going to be unstable women who are going to unjustly accuse people. But we get caught up in this windstorm of like, you know, pushing so hard for women's rights and the Me Too movement that. I think we forget like the great equalizer of all genders is that there's shitty people on both sides. Yeah, totally. Like there's just as many women liars as there are men liars. Right. Like I think, I think like that phrase is a little bit unfortunate. Believe all women. Cause like I agree, we should not, it in fact, it is in fact very unfeminist to say believe women Um, because it's not equal. Right. right? I, I would like my, I wish my default were to believe right. women, I guess is like, as is what I can say. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I wish in a perfect world, my default would be to believe women. And like, I do strive toward that. Um, but there have been so many instances where I do have to like somehow reconcile the fact that like someone is my friend and someone is, they are also being accused of something like it's, it's so hard. It's, it's, and I think yeah. this is just, you know, these are the conversations that we have to have. And these are the unfortunate mm-hmm. situations that have to arise in order to enact change. Like all of these mm-hmm. awful situations, like Ginger's, you know, um, situation with John Stagliano, um, you know, like Emma Hicks with Jimmy Lifestyles, like 
all of these situations where, you know, women felt violated on a porn set, which I know like a lot of people are not surprised by that because like people believe that porn is, you know, violating anyhow, but you know, you and I know that, that we really try to cultivate in most sets one feels very safe on and, and hopes to feel safe on, but these things need to happen in order for us to recognize and and change them. And for me, like one of the greatest lessons about all of these, you know, consent and boundary violations that have come up is that I never really sat down and had performers talk about their do's and don'ts before they started the scene. Because for me, I thought like, Oh, you know, I don't really shoot hardcore stuff anyways, you know? So like, there's not going to be anything that happens that's going to be something that's going to push a girl's boundaries. Um, you know, and, and as a woman, I can tell if a woman's uncomfortable. And so like, I can read the situation. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to have this talk, but I've realized that, that they do need to have this talk because there might be something that somebody is not necessarily like something that's really hardcore that happens on set, but it might be triggering to somebody for whatever reason um, from some trauma they experienced in their past that I couldn't possibly know. And I just think that it's, it's a good conversation to have before you start to talk about your do's and your don'ts, because not only to like recognize what people, you know, definitely don't want to happen in the scene, but also to talk about what people like so that people can yeah. like really try to have a great time. Like I love being kissed on my neck. So it just made me realize like the lack of communication that was on my set that I took for granted, you know, didn't need to happen because I was a woman and I was running this ethical feminist set. You know what I'm saying? Right. But also I think like, first of all, I think that's like fucking awesome that you're doing that and like, thank you. Um, but like, also I think, I think like it goes even deeper and for sure these conversations do happen between performers even like without the director but it doesn't always happen and I wouldn't even say it mostly happens and I think you know like I think women a lot of us are raised to feel shame over sex in general or to not really express what we want and just because we're in porn it doesn't mean that like we're used to saying what we like what we don't like and I think I, I think like we're, that's just how women of our generation are programmed, you know, like that's why we fake orgasms. That's why we don't tell a guy when he's eating our pussy, like totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, right. <laughs> like, so I think, I think when a third party, like a director can step in and force us to have that conversation, I think it is actually really appreciated. And I think that you are definitely cultivating a conversation that, very likely would not have happened. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think we shouldn't assume that people are comfortable to have that conversation on their yeah, own. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Just because you work in the porn industry yeah. doesn't mean you're actually comfortable about sex. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That that's absolutely like just so fucking true. Who, who do you think is your dream guest? Asa Akira, obviously. Stop it. You already had me, first of all. No, but for real, like, who is your, um, like, do you have like a white whale? <laughs> uh, I mean, I interviewed Sasha Gray a little while ago, which was really cool. I wasn't expecting her to say yes. Um, there's uh -huh. been a couple of girls that I really wanted to have on the show, but they said no. 
so okay. I don't really want to call them out, but you've yeah. had them on your show. I'm just saying. <laughs> so that was disappointing. I, I have to know. Um, <laughs> I think, um, do you think it's, 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 I've, I found that sometimes it's hard to get porn people to do things that for free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that, do you think that's like the factor? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, one of them, I don't know. The no was through their agent and their agent could also be lying oh. because their agent does that. Doesn't profit. Yeah. So, so it's possible that the no was actually not a no, but I don't have mm-hmm. the balls to ask her directly because I don't want the last thing I want to do is be pushy. You know what I mean? Like I really recognize mm-hmm. that when people come on my show, they do it for free and they give me their time and they give me, you know, the promotion and it's, 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 I consider it an honor and I consider it a gift. And Mm -hmm. so I don't ever want people to think that I would try to pressure people into doing it because I recognize that everybody's time is important. And it's not like, I'm not Joe Rogan, you know what I mean? I'm not going to have millions of downloads. that's going to like change the trajectory of their career. Like if anything, especially if they're a bigger name, they're doing me a favor. So, you know, if they say no, I respect that and I move on. I mean, the people that have said no to me, I've worked with them afterwards, like on set and things are totally cool. Like I don't bring it up and like, yeah, we're fine. Like I respect their decision. I understand it's a business decision and I don't take it personally. Um, Yeah. So yeah, you know, maybe one day when I am getting a million downloads an episode, they'll say yes, but until then, (laughs) I'm going to be happy that I got Asa Akira on. <laughs> so you're so you're saying your dream guests are the people that said no. <laughs> Basically. Um, what thing about you as a person, Holly? <laughs> it says something. Yeah, have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've wanted to have Kieran Lee on, which he said yes to finally over Zoom because I can't get him in the fucking studio. Um just because he's hilarious and I think it'd be a really funny interview. Um, I'm trying, I'm like racking my brain right now. I don't, I mean, there's a lot of people that I want to have on that I have. I finally got Phoenix Marie to agree. Love me like two years. (laughs) I I have, I have, um, I actually have an episode in the can with her right now. Is that the right term? Yeah. Yeah. In the can, like ready to go. Cause we recorded pre Corona. Um, and oh my God, she, she's, she's incredible. Cause she will say anything. She has like zero filter. That's what I love. Like <laughs> girls like that, or that's why like Dana was so yeah. fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are definitely like the kind of, those are definitely end up being like the most fun kind of interviews when they're, you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Am I in control of this or not? Yeah, exactly. What about you? Mm, for me, like my dream, I have two, I have two dream guests, but they're not specific people. I'm really, really dying to interview an asexual person. Mm, okay. It, um, even if it's like not for the podcast, yeah. I just want, want to know. like, I'm so curious about it and I know so little about it and there's not a lot of information like on the internet yeah. about you know, um, being asexual. So I'm really curious about that. And then I'm also like, you know, like I'm a performer and on Instagram, I I have so many trolls, 
like just saying horrible shit to me every day. And I would love to interview a troll. I'm just trying to figure out like a safe way to do that. Cause you know, you don't know if you want to give them that attention, give them that attention or like my personal information (laughs) to like conduct an interview. Like, I don't know. So I'm, I'm definitely like trying to figure out a way where I can do that. I'd actually, you know, along those lines and I had somebody and then they kind of, I didn't follow up on it and now I really regret it, but I'd love to interview somebody who has like a really bizarre fetish that they like request weird custom videos for, you know? Yeah. Actually there's a guy who's asked me, I brought this up so many times on my podcast. There's a guy who's asked me several times if he can eat my shit. Um, he calls it uh, toilet treats. <laughs> and he's like several times. And every time he asks me, he like ups the rate. My last offer was 2500 I still said, what? Yeah. And he said that all I have to do is, <laughs> no. do is come to a hotel room and like shit in like a. Oh, you have to do it in person. No, I don't. I don't know why. I was, no, I don't. I have was envisioning. To. No, I don't have to. Yeah, I was envisioning you like shitting into a Ziploc bag and fedexing no, 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 no. to him. So, like, what he wants me to do is he wants to rent a hotel room, and he says like he'll wait in the lobby, um, so I don't ever have to meet him, and I just have to go like shit in like this silver bowl and pee in like this champagne flute because he wants to like ha- make a very classy affair of it, and like. And he wants to drink my piss and eat my, my toilet treats like with a caviar spoon. And, um, oh, yeah, it's very, a caviar that would take forever. And, and I, and I like, maybe I should interview him and be like, why, why? Yeah. Holly. want that. That's- you should interview him and in, in, in exchange for the interview, shit in the bowl for him. <laughs> It would be worth it. I don't know. I don't know if I could handle it. It'll be the most preparation you've ever done for an interview. <laughs> oh my God. I actually prepared for this podcast. I ate a lot of chili last night. Oh my God. I always think about like, because I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm pretty like down for anything. Yeah. But I can't wrap my head around the shitting thing. I, I like I'll pee on someone. Someone can pee on me. I can be into it if if they love it. Like I can totally get into it. But shitting, like, like first of all, the smell. Yeah. yeah. I don't get it either. And I, I also wonder too. Like I feel like he doesn't really eat it. I feel like he just. I don't know. I just feel like he like sets he like sets the table and like just looks at it. I don't know. I just feel like because it's like how can you eat shit and not like throw up everywhere? Like your body would naturally reject that. Well, they have stomach problems. I know that. Like, well, okay. So Wait, I, who is stomach problems? Well, People who I, eat shit. I like. I dated, no, I'm not a shit eater, but I dated someone who was like into eating shit. Oh, and okay. I need to know about. But I, I couldn't just like no judging, honestly, like whatever, like if that's your kink, whatever, but like personally not into it. And like, I, I just can't, I'm sorry. I just can't. Um, but he always had stomach problems. Well, yeah. I mean, so wait, he never ate your shit. 
Uh uh-uh and not only that like I always knew he was into shit he's in the industry I'll tell you who it is afterwards but like he's in the industry he I knew beforehand he was into eating shit and when we were like we I wouldn't say we were like a couple but we were like fucking off camera I guess you could say and he never asked me but I know that he was like eating shit while we were hanging out. So he was eating other girls shit. He was cheating on you yeah. by eating the shit of other girls. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say cheating because like, it wasn't Can like, you imagine like, did he come home and was like, I know what's that smell. You've been eating other girls shit. What the fuck? <laughs> Why do you smell like Why shit? Why do you smell like shit? You cheating bastard. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah. And he like constantly had stomach problems. But yeah, I don't want to king shame either, but I, I, I cannot wrap my head around that one either. That is, that is just also like, where do you think it starts? Cause like, okay. Like now that I have a kid, I'm constantly thinking about like, you're like, immersed in, shit. okay. Like for example, he'll come like tickle my feet or something and he'll think it's hilarious. And of course this is the most innocent thing ever. He's a toddler. But, like, there is a part of me that's, like, oh, my God. Like, if I keep letting him do this, is he going to develop a foot fetish? And it's not even a real thought. It's just, like, a split thing in my head, right? Like, it's not, like, a real concern of mine. But Which like, isn't a bad thing either. Like, no, 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 it's not even a bad thing. But, like, I, I just mean, like, that's, like, one of those things. And, like, so I wonder, like, what, where did he develop a shit fantasy? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the thing. That's why I want to interview someone like this. Cause I want to know it's got to stem from some kind of childhood trauma or childhood experience, you know, something imprinted on that person's brain at a young age. But do you think it has to be trauma? No, no, no. That's what I said. Childhood trauma or childhood experience. It doesn't have to be, it has yeah. to be some kind of mo- like either monumental thing. I've also talked to people too, who just said that like, something happened to them while they were in this like transitional moment where of sexual awakening. Like a friend of mine told me yeah. he was really into Asian women. And he told me it was because he accidentally like walked in on his friend's mom changing who was Asian when he was like in puberty. And he thinks that like that ever since then, like, you know what I mean? So it's like this yeah. like really crucial moment of sexual awakening. You have some experience that maybe triggers so a reaction. Huh? What age is that? Do you remember? Like probably like 10 or something like that. Yeah. I don't know know either. But as long as your kid doesn't develop a a shit eating fetish, I think you're fine. (laughs) I mean, no, you know what? Honestly, if he wants to eat shit, like that's fine by me. Wow. You really are a progressive mother. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean like, you know, whatever. Like everyone's into something weird. That's okay. You're right. I, I feel like I'm going to, like, I don't want to, like, harp on too much about how disgusting I think it is because I feel like all the shit people are going to come after me. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> it's not. But, but I'm like, is there also, nothing in the world left that we can make fun of, Asa? Is there not one kink that we can shame? I feel like if there's one that we can shame, it's shit eating, right? It's shit eating. I mean, must I be that accepting of everything? um okay can I ask you some questions yeah do you miss performing and do you think you'll ever come back um 
there are moments where I miss performing in like studio porn for sure. Um, and I think, I don't think I'll ever come back. I mean, never say never. And I don't even consider myself retired. Like I still shoot my own stuff from home and like, um, you should stuff with your husband I don't or is that- it just solo? No, just me. And like, I, I just, I don't know that I can ever, I don't know that I have it in me to even like ever say I'm retired. Like, I just, I just don't know. If, maybe I do. I'm just not there yet. Um, but you know, when I, so I've been with my husband, I was with my husband when I was really, really young. Right. And then when we got back together this time, um, he was like not crazy about the idea of me being with other men or other people in general, actually. Um, and it's this weird thing of like, you know, I've been in porn for 12 years now. I've watched so many performers leave the industry for their partners, for their lovers, for their new relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. And I always was like, oh man, that's lame. Like, do whatever you want. Like, you know, like if they're trying to control you, they're not for you. Um, but also something happened. Like, I don't know, like when I got with my husband this time, like, I just, I don't know. Like I, I love him so much. And to me, I got to do porn. Like I got to do the whole thing for 10 years. I got to be successful at it. I got so much out of it. And it was, you know, I'm so lucky. Like I had such a lucky, lucky career. And for me, like at that point in my life, it was more important to me to continue a relationship with my husband than it was to continue shooting porn. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that like, I really didn't understand until it happened to me. Like I really, really truly believe that it was like unfeminist to quit shooting porn for a man. Like I really, really thought that. And I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people I know, you know, still feel that way. And I think for me now I'm like, well, no, like I, I made a choice based on like what I want for my life at that time. And I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like I'm missing anything in my life now. Like I'm still shooting. I'm still in the industry. I still get to like, enjoy a lot of the things about the industry. So for me, like it was a decision I made that was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, I can also recognize that I've been really lucky to be able to say that it's been worth it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's also not a privilege, like people have all the time, yeah. but, but for me it was worth it. Well, look, I think there's a difference between getting together with a man who's trying to really control you and say like, Mm -hmm. I don't want you shooting porn because, you know, X, Y, and Z, I'm I'm ashamed of your career or whatever. And like just being somebody who's only interested in a monogamous relationship. And it's like, look, Mm -hmm. this is what I need. Like I need to have Mm -hmm. a monogamous relationship. And if that's not what you want, then this isn't going to work out rather than you need to quit porn for me. Totally. And that's exactly what it was. Like, even, you know, when we started hanging out, he was very much like, hey, just so you know, like, if we're going to take this further, like, this is what I need out of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah. 
So, so far, so good. <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm also in the camp of like, never say never, which is, I think, also why it's always really hard for me to ever say, use a word like retirement. I think also because too. obviously, yeah, we've seen so many porn stars retire. And we've retire. seen. Yeah. Oh my God. And like, is there, I, I've always thought like, oh man, there's like nothing worse than making like that huge press release announcement, um, video, everything where you're like, I'm retired. And then yeah, it it makes it this like weird thing to come back. Like you couldn't make it out in the real world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for me though, like, I don't know that I'll ever be, I think I'm like porn for life. You know, you ever Like, like shoot solos? Maybe. Um, but also like right now, like, you know, it's kind of like all the way back to what we were saying before is like, I've gotten really, really comfortable in my life. Like I get to work from home, you know, I get to be a stay at home mom, um, while also having the benefits of having a job. And like, to me, that's like, that's been pretty priceless. And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what's the number that you would shoot a scene for? Like, what's the price? And like, I can honestly say, right now I would not shoot a scene for a billion dollars and that's like it's true like right now I'm comfortable I'm happy like that's yeah you don't need it you don't need the money so Mm -hmm. um how has has having a child changed the way that you see porn or your role in porn are you ever worried about when your kid finds the work that you've done are you concerned about like having that conversation Yeah. I'm so worried. I mean, that's why I was like asking you about you and your mom. Um, you know, like I, I, I am worried. I am anxious for that conversation and I think about it all the fucking time and having a kid has changed the way I look at porn, but like not in a way that I'm like regretful that I did it at all. Now I'm like, I feel if anything, like I feel almost spiteful. Um, if that makes sense, like it angers me that I have these thoughts Mm -hmm. and it angers me that I've been like raised in a society and even like live currently in a society where like, I have to like think about how to break to my child what I do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I hear you. And you know, and I didn't, do anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm happy. I love my job. I think I find it personally so empowering that I've been able to live my adult life the way I've wanted to. And so it's kind of like infuriating. Yeah. I will say just from like my personal perspective, I know my mom never like acted in porn, but you know, like obviously she shot it and clearly she's fucked porn stars like Mr. Marcus. Maybe, maybe allegedly we are going to find out. I'm going to ask her and I will repeat. I will tell you. I will say this. That's a fucking liar too. So if she tries to lie to me, I will know. I will be able to read it on her face. So I will let you. It is the word on the street. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the way that man like fucking smooth talks her. But anyways, um, what I realized is that I meant to tell you earlier. And then I got off on this fucking tangent of like my mom and the book that she was writing. So when she went on that tour for that book that I mentioned earlier, she did all of these interviews and the sexism that she came up against with these male journalists that interviewed her, 
you know, back in the seventies was just like, so eye opening. And there's this one interview in particular, and I will send it to you because I think it's on my YouTube channel and I'll post it in the comments guys. Um, if I can find it, it was for a current affair in Australia. And what's so interesting too, is that she gave birth to me like a year after she did this interview and I'm the eldest child. So right after she had this conversation, um, I was conceived and then she, she gave birth to her first child. And the interviewer asked her, um, you know, what are your children going to think of you when, you know, they grow up and they know that mommy wrote this salacious book about all these people that she slept with and all the things that she did. And like, what are your grandchildren going to think about, you know, granny behaving in such a manner? And she was so like, kind of taken aback, but also like angry about the question. And she said, and he's like, what kind of morals are you going to teach your children? That's what he said as well. And she said, I'm going to teach my children what any mother should teach their children. I'm going to teach them to be kind and be responsible and always tell the truth. She's like, what else would you teach your children? You know, like, um, how dare you suggest that I can't raise a child because what yeah. I do for a living. And then that's when he asked like, well, what are your grandchildren going to think, you know, about you when they find out about this book? And she goes, when my grandchildren grow up this, it's going to be a different world. We're not going to live in a place mm -hmm. where we're going to judge people based on the fact that, you know, they had a good time when they were young. We're not going to be so hung up on sex. My grandchildren aren't going to give a damn if their granny went and had a great time, you know, when she was in her um, youth. And it's just so interesting to watch that interview now as her daughter and knowing that, you know, she did raise me really well and I had a wonderful childhood and she taught me all of these, you know, values and morals that I think that I, I try to, to encompass and that she, you know, I think my grandchildren won't care about what she did for a living. I know yeah. I don't. So it was just like this really yeah. interesting kind of premonition that she had in this interview. And I don't know, I just love it. So I'll send you the link because it's... That's Really it's awesome. really cool. It's cool to see the way that society wanted to paint her into this box and how she just yeah. refused to fit into it and how she ended up, you know, being a wonderful mother, despite the fact that she works in porn. Yeah. And that reminds me of a really, uh, I saw you posted on Instagram, something that I really loved recently where you said like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but something like, um, I love being a whore and like swallowing a lot of cum or something like that and doing all these dirty sex acts, but I'm also like a responsible and loving mother and I can be both things. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I know I totally just misquoted you, but. No, it's basically that. Like, I, I think what I was just trying to say is that like, I love being a whore, mm -hmm. but I'm also a really good mom. I think so far I'm loving, I'm responsible. Um, and those things can co coexist, right? Exactly. Like and I think I would even add to that now, like, I think like, there's this weird thing where like, we don't allow women to be sluts and mothers and business women. Mm -hmm. None of those things can cross over in a Venn diagram, like even a businesswoman and a mother, kind of like what we were yeah. saying before, right? Or a businesswoman and a slut or a slut and a mother. Like it's, it's just none of those things can cross. And it's like, and yet it's totally like in us to be all of those things. Like it's all three of those things are like 
can totally exist in a woman and are completely natural. So I think it's just, I, I wish, I, I think, so yeah, like to answer your question, like I do see porn differently and I, I see it more now, like almost like I feel it as like a, a mission where I'm like, I need to continue doing what I want to do despite what society may think I should not be doing as a mother. Yeah. Um, and I should continue to make my own decisions and live my life how I want to and make decisions based on how I will be happier. Um, it just, I, I think that's even more important to me now than ever. And also I have a son and like for what it's worth, like I just, I really want to raise a boy, a man that sees a woman like living life on her own terms. Yeah. Like that's really important. Yeah. No, I, like I don't want him to question that. Right. I totally agree with you. I, yeah, this idea that society, you know, it's like the mother or the whore complex. It's like, you can only be one or the other mm -hmm. and, and that woman you know, can be multidimensional and they can be an openly sexual person and they can be also really intelligent and they can also be really creative and they can be funny and they can be, um, empathetic and they can be, you know, they can be so many things. And I just feel like, you know, in terms of like true feminism, the idea of, of breaking past like those sex barriers, I think is like the kind of the final, the final push that we need to like really get women out there as, like one whole being that can be all these different things. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I, I think, do you feel differently? Like now that you're pregnant and you're about to have a child, you know what? I, I, I don't, but I also like, I don't really feel differently. Like in general being pregnant, I don't feel like much of a connection to my child yet because mm -hmm. I still don't really feel pregnant. Um, you know, seeing obviously the sonogram was like really moving. And um, I don't know, I think until I have the child and I don't know like how, how you felt, but I don't really feel connected to the baby yet. I love that you're saying that. <laughs> Is that bad? I feel like I, I should, but I just don't. I just. I felt really guilty, actually. Like, throughout my whole pregnancy, I didn't feel any kind of connection. Like, I had, it's kind of like you said, I had those moments where, like, I would get a sonogram and, like, my breath would be taken yeah. away. And, like, you know, um, I had a lot of moments, but, like, overall, it kind of felt, like, very surreal and, like, as if I was thinking about someone else having a yeah. baby. Um, and then when I had him, I was, like, I... I remember like holding him for the first time and like, I, of course, like I did feel like this immediate love, but I didn't, it wasn't, it, it felt like I got a puppy. <laughs> it felt like I got like, you know what I mean? Like you get a puppy and you love it right away. And they're like the cutest thing ever. And you want to take a hundred photos of it. But like, it wasn't, I didn't feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, the instant I laid my eyes on my baby, I knew my life was different yeah. and I had never felt love like that before. For me, it wasn't like that. Like I grew to feel that way, but it took a couple months. Like, yeah. I feel like that's going to be the same way for me too. Is it, and isn't it funny that we feel like we have to be apologetic about the way that we feel? Totally. But that's why I love that you said that because like, I think I, I feel like if I feel like that, if you feel like that, like more women probably feel like that. We just feel like we're not fucking allowed to say that because yeah. it's, it's 
because having a child is supposed to be like the pinnacle of our existence and often like the only reason for it, you know, like our main purpose is just to be a vessel to bear children. And if you don't feel like you've achieved like the most monumental thing in your life by getting pregnant then like, are you really a woman? And it's like, right. I just don't feel that way yet. I'm sure when I have, you know, the baby, I, I will, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's the thing. Like, I don't know how I'm going to feel, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to really change my mind. I mean, considering, you know, the family I grew up in and I, you know, my right. mom, you already, my mom, your mentality already different. Yeah. My, my yeah. mom continued. I mean, my birth was announced in Hustler magazine. So stop. <laughs> I'm so jealous of your life. <laughs> There's actually a picture that they staged of me on a sling nursing while my mom's shooting. And we want to recreate that picture. Uh, You know, when like there should be a word for like when you are so intensely jealous of something that like was never attainable to you anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, do you ever get like really jealous? Like you'll see someone else like make a movie and it's like totally not even the kind of movie you would ever make, mm-hmm. but you get like intensely jealous. I don't know if that happens to you. That happens to me all the time. And like, there should be a word for that. Like, I wish, I wish I had the kind of upbringing where I could recreate a photo like that. But you can, you know, you can be, you can be that parent to your son. Yeah. You know, and you can change yeah. his, you know, you can have a child who sees, the adult world and porn and sex and women differently than other people though, you know, let's hope that as the generations continue, that they will become more and more progressive and more open to ideas of sexuality and women and porn. So, you know, and, and gosh, darn it. Asa, by you and me having podcasts like this, we're changing the world one episode at a time. We're doing our part. <laughs> <laughs> This is our gift to you, world. This is our gift to you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> someone's got to do it, someone's you know. Do it, and apparently that someone's got to be us. <laughs> but I mean, that's the cool thing about podcasting, too, though. That I just realized is like that. I just thought of actually is like you can totally do it up until the day you give birth. Yeah, and short chapter too. Like it's yeah. I'll probably bank a bunch of episodes before I go into the hospital Mm -hmm. because I've heard that I will be very tired. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first couple months like fly by because you're so tired. They fly by in the slowest way because you're so tired. What do you think the greatest gift about podcasting has been for you or what's like the greatest lesson that you've learned? (sighs) It's a really good question. Um. I think one thing I'm like continuing to learn is that like if you talk to someone like long enough and if you can ask the right questions and get enough of a background on someone, they're impossible to dislike. So does that mean that you finally like me now? How much longer does this like- show need to go for until you like me, Martha? <laughs> you're like 30 minutes away from that. No, I'm kidding. But like, no, for real, like I, I really do now believe that like like I've gone into interviews um especially like I've gone into interviews where like I felt like I had to interview someone Mm -hmm. and maybe perhaps I wasn't so interested in them personally Mm -hmm. um and 
like by the time I'm done talking to them for like an hour or two hours or whatever it is, it's like, oh, like they are actually a very interesting person. I, I, I do enjoy talking. Mm-hmm. To them. Yeah. For me, it's been just like an incredibly eye-opening experience where I get to sit down and talk to somebody for an extended period of time without like looking at my phone. Um, I feel like it's made me a better listener. It's made me a better communicator and it's definitely opened my eyes to see things in a different way. I feel like it's really brought me a lot of perspective on things that I wouldn't have thought about or understood before. Um, you know, from the few trans performers that I've interviewed, it's been a really great experience understanding like, you know, what they're going through. Um, it's giving me a lot more compassion for people. Uh, like a great example, it, it, it's changed my biases that I've had. You know, I've had some in, internal biases that I didn't really realize I had until I talked to mm-hmm. people. Like a great one is Michael Vegas. You know, I had Michael Vegas on and I've always felt that like men who like to be pegged were like kind of effeminate and that it was this, you know, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, submissive thing on the, on the behalf of the man and that, you know, it was, I don't know, just all these ideas of, of what mm-hmm. I believed pegging a man would be. And, you know, from talking to Michael, who's not a submissive man in any way, I don't know if you've ever worked with him, mm-hmm. but he's an incredibly mm-hmm. strong yeah. performer. And I wouldn't say he's like effeminate. I mean, he's definitely got like a really interesting style, but I would never like say that Michael's like an effeminate feminine man, um, he really kind of changed my mind about how I see men who enjoy being pegged and who enjoy anal play. Yeah. And I thought, you know, wow, I really do have these entrenched like gender role biases about men's really? roles in the bedroom. And Michael really helped open my eyes to looking at that a different way, which I just felt was really valuable. It's also not like, not for nothing, but like, it's not our fault. I think that we have these internal biases. I think it's, I think it's our responsibility to like educate ourselves and become better and, you know, become more empathetic, like as we get older and more informed, but like, I don't think like, these are ideas, like everything you said is like, what society has put in our heads that like men who want to be penetrated are weak. Right. Right. right? Because it's feminine probably is probably like the root of it. Right. But like, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And like kind of on that note too, like I think another thing I've really learned from podcasting for this long is like, I've really learned that like changing your mind is an option Yeah, because there's so many things I've said publicly on a podcast, on my podcast, on another podcast, whatever, that like, I totally don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. And I think like allowing myself like the luxury of being like, sorry, changed my yeah. mind or, you know, I got better educated and mm-hmm. now I don't feel that way anymore. I think that's okay and important that like yeah. that is normalized. Yeah. It, you know, um, I watched, I don't know if you've seen this and if you haven't, you should check it out. Um, there's a new documentary on the Beastie Boys, which is excellent. And they, and Ad Rock said something, which I thought was really cool. So they kind of- Someone else told me about this quote. Okay. Is it um, that, so someone was interviewing him because- I'd rather be a hypocrite. I'd rather be a hypocrite than somebody who never changes. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that quote. I was like, that's so true because- 
you know, that's what it means to be a human being. And that's what it means to be progressive is that we can change our minds. We we aren't born with the right ideas. We aren't born right. with like this knowledge and this understanding We're of not the world. With any information. Yeah. yeah. And some of us are, are fed the wrong information for a long time. And I think yeah. the greatest thing about human growth is the ability to change your mind and to see that you are wrong and look at things in a different way. And I just feel like that should be something that people are more open about. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So I'm with you. All right. This has been awesome. Do you have any more questions? We have talked for so long, Holly. I know. My husband finally got home and he's like, fuck it. I'm cooking. You guys can end the podcast. I don't know if you can hear the sink in the background. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, we've wanted to do this for so long and I'm so glad we made it happen. Me too. Me too. Um, where can everybody find you on social media? Uh, I'm. Asa Akira on Twitter, Asa Hole on Instagram, and PornHubPodcast.com for the podcast. And what about yourself? Well, I'm Holly Randall on Instagram and on Twitter. And my website is HollyRandallUnfiltered.com. I also love how you take your hair and you give yourself a mustache. You're like <laughs> embarrassed about something or like you find um, something amusing. You do this. I so this is something my husband points out and he always knows that I have a crush on a guy or think a guy's cute if I start doing like this <laughs> and touching my hair and like playing with my hair on my face. So that's great. Um I guess I have a crush on oh, you. Well it only took two and a half hours of the conversation to get you to finally like me. <laughs> But yeah, this this was really cool. It's really interesting to be like both a host and a Yeah, guest. I know. It ha- yeah, it has been interesting. I I don't know if I talked more about myself or asked you more questions about you, but I guess I feel like we did a good job of both. both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't worry. The people on my YouTube comments will let me know. Well, let me know when they let you know, and maybe I can interview them about being a troll. <gasps> oh my God. I have so many trolls on my fucking YouTube channel. You have no this idea. whole thing has been a trap for trolls. <laughs> it's been a casting call. All right. That was Holly Randall from Holly Randall Unfiltered. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. That was an episode we were trying to make for a really long time. So I am so glad it happened. Um, If you enjoyed that, you can hear more and listen to all of Holly's podcast episodes at hollyrandallunfiltered.com. The the episodes are available on iTunes and SoundCloud and all that as well. Um, So please do give her a follow and a listen. Bye.